Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to chapter 15 of the book of Romans. We're going to be starting today in verse 22. A little bit of a recap. Around the 14th verse of chapter 15, St. Paul is getting into his closing matter. It's at this time he's going to be talking about where the Roman congregation is in their spirituality, what his plans are moving forward. He's going to say hi to some people and give some final instructions. And it would be tempting for us to look at this closing matter, read it really quickly and skip it all together. Because after all, we have just spent over 40 sessions now discussing the book of Romans. It has been months of going over little minute details in the book of Romans. And when we're at the closing matter, it's going to be tempting to say, all right, we're done. But we'd be missing out. Remember, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It is good for teaching, for correcting in the faith, for instruction, so that the man of God may be complete. And that means that even the closing matters, or we're a little antsy to be done with this, even those are important. So let's go ahead and start reading in the 22nd verse of Romans 15. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, what spiritual benefit can we get out of this? His little farewell section before getting into individual greetings. Well, this is very important, actually. <laughs> I know it sounds like, hey guys, I planned for this. Uh, don't forget to be giving to the guys that are in charge of the church. And um, yeah, I hope to see you soon. Pray for me. It sounds like a very trite message. But let's go back verse by verse and see what he's really getting at with this. In verse 22, it says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. What does he mean by that? Well, in verse 19, he says, By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Okay, St. Paul has a job to do, and he brings God's word and God's power to 
everybody that he meets, hopefully, right? He's trying to bring people to the faith. And then in verse 20, he says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. St. Paul has a job. There might be people in the congregation who are like, yeah, he... You know, he's kind of like a stray cat. He shows up every now and then, but it's pretty infrequent. We never know when to expect this guy. And a lot of the times when I do expect him, even if I'm leaving a little bit of food out there and a bowl of milk, the St. Paul Tomcat just keeps on walking. He's got his own program. In case anybody was thinking that, St. Paul's explaining to them that, hey, I'm busy here trying to bring the gospel to people that have never heard. St. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, like us. Yes, he is also a missionary. Apostles were the sent ones. The word for apostle literally means sent one. So he's going out where nobody's heard of Jesus before. And as far as he can tell, this means having to go all the way westward, because by this time the gospel is starting to spread all around the known world. So he says in verse 23, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. I'm going to visit. There's nowhere around me that hasn't had a Christian church set up or some missionaries already working there. So I'm going to go to Spain, as far west as I can, without having to get on a boat. By the way, I'd like to visit you on the way there and get some support. This is his pitch, to get support from the Roman congregation. It's not the teaching. The teaching is going to be given 100% free of charge. But he does need help, so he is asking, saying, I would love to visit you and commune with you. By the way, I'm going to Spain and I'm going to need some assistance here. Could be monetary, could be supplies, etc. and so forth. The very Lutheran project actually goes off of this model. Giving benefits for free, giving theological resources and house church resources 100% free of charge. You will never see me paywalling God. But every now and then I will bring up, I need help. This is how I keep the lights on, by donations. The Very Lutheran Project is funded by people like you who see what we're doing and wish to support it financially. And on the verylutheran.biz website, there's a link to our Gumroad in the online giving and a P.O. box. I can't charge you for the ministry. That would be simony. Everything I give is 100% free, like St. Paul did, but at the same time, that means that I rely on charity and offerings from people that listen to this. But with that said, St. Paul does not end it there. He doesn't say, I need money in order to continue my ministry. I mean, I can relate to him with that, and I model that after him. But he continues on with charity and alms for others. 
In verse 25, he says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Before he goes on about what he needs for his care and everything, St. Paul is still offering aid to the saints. And so, I'm going to follow in the Apostle to the Gentiles' footsteps and say, if somebody makes a donation to the Very Lutheran Project and they say, this is for X, Y, or Z house church, this is for this need in your ministry, or this is what I would like you to do with it, I listen. St. Paul could have taken all that money from Macedonia and Achaia's churches and said, all right, that's all mine now, okay, bye. But no, his ministry has to be a selfless one. He wasn't in it to get rich, so neither can I be. This is learning by description. When we read the Bible and we see somebody's example, we see either a good example that we should emulate or a bad example that we should avoid. A good example is St. Paul selflessly putting his ministry and his goals on pause to help the poor. Versus a bad example, uh, David and Bathsheba, uh, King Saul killing the priest at Nob, other things like that, or even Adam and Eve. We want to learn about not giving into temptation by the example of Adam and Eve both giving into temptation, that sort of thing. It doesn't necessarily directly tell us here is the moral of the story, but it is good to learn from these examples as we hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Referring to the Old Testament, especially the wilderness wanderings of Israel in the book of Numbers, St. Paul writes, These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So yes, we look at the Old Testament and we see the examples of people sinning or doing what is wrong and we say, oh boy, I got to avoid that. That's a good lesson to learn. But in addition to this, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, the very first verse, St. Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So when I read from Romans 15, from the 22nd to the 33rd verse, I'm looking at someone's ministry that I ought to emulate as a minister. He's missional, as the buzzword goes. He wants to keep doing his job, winning souls for Christ, spreading the gospel everywhere, but he does not charge. He merely asks for support. 
So, okay, as a pastor, I should do the same thing and trust that my Lord will provide with generous people. And at the same time, though, even though he has his needs and his goals, he's still putting charity before his mission. The poor saints at Jerusalem, they need food. There was a famine at this time in Jerusalem and people were hurting. So under that famine, I mean, this is the church that was in charge of all the other churches, St. James and St. Peter running the church, bringing the council about, you know, the Council of Jerusalem in AD 51, I believe, 51 or 55. They're there to help the saints and to figure things out and to lead. St. Paul says, okay, we need to help them and we need to help the poor among them from those churches who are well off. So I can't forget to continue in charity, even if maybe the ministry life is hard and I have my own needs. Other people's needs have to come first. If you are a deacon, a lay leader, or a pastor, or a missionary, if you have some sort of spiritual authority position that God has placed you in, these are lessons you need to learn. You're supposed to imitate St. Paul as he imitates Christ, and that means when it comes to leadership in the church, this is something you ought to do. This is a mindset to have. Now, he does argue, if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, referring to the church at Jerusalem, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. And that is a lesson for lay people. Your church, your pastor, your spiritual authorities should not ever charge for the gospel. They should not ever engage in simony that is deeply sinful. But at the same time, if you decide you're not going to make an offering, that could be sinful if it is coming from a place of ingratitude, not being thankful for what God has done in your life through these people. That's important. Now, if you're not making an offering because you're under hard economic times, nobody's going to blame you. Remember, the command to tithe, the whole 10% thing, is not a commandment for you. It's great when people give the full 10%, and I do believe that there is a promise which applies to the individual Christian as found in the book of Malachi regarding the whole tithe. But you're not required to. And God blesses you for giving, even if it's not the full 10%. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go all Jim Baker on you and say, you put in a little bit of seed money and God's going to get a jumbo jet full of dollar bills and he's going to drop it on you. You're going to be a millionaire. No, that's not the sense of the blessing that God gives for those who give to the ministry, for the people who donate, who help and everything. But he does take care of us, and he does take care of us well on account of what he sees in our generosity to the church. Ultimately, though, it is a matter of Christian freedom to seek after that blessing or not, depending on your circumstances. And I pray that God gives us all wisdom in that. Now, continuing on, we go to verse 28, where St. Paul writes, when, therefore, I have completed this, 
and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Whether or not you receive, and this is again speaking to leaders in the church, to the uh, pastors, deacons, lay leaders, etc., whether or not you're receiving something from the congregation, from Christians who are funding and supporting this, you continue on cheerfully with the fullness of the blessing of Christ because you have a job to do and whether or not that is easy or difficult based on the support from other people it shouldn't matter. Keep a good attitude. In the moment you are done helping other people, you go right back to helping other people with your primary job, your primary ministry. It is supposed to be entirely selfless. But it still needs support, and spiritual support more than physical support. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The word strive together is from synagonizomai, meaning to contend together, to struggle together, or even, this is where we get the word to agonize, Strong's number 75, agonizomai, to even be in agony together. St. Paul is saying, pray for me. Please make it a little bit of a struggle. Join me in the ministry in prayer. When you pray for your pastor or an apostle or a deacon, anybody out there that is a spiritual officer in the church, you are engaging in their ministry with them. This is incredibly important. The Christian life is mostly characterized as struggle. That's what we're about. The doctrine of tentatio always rings true. We work and we struggle in this world because we are not of it any longer. From the moment of your baptism onward, you're going to be in struggle. That's okay. We just need to embrace it. But St. Paul asks the saints in Rome to struggle along with him. That I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He says, all right, guys, sidle up alongside me and pray for me. I have these needs. We all do. But this ministry is not going to work unless you are with me praying. I trust God, absolutely. But God expects people to come and help out with their prayers. Prayer is more important than money. Prayer is more important than having a place to crash when you make a missionary visit. Prayer is the most important, helpful thing in ministry outside of the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit himself. And if we undertake any spiritual endeavor whatsoever, it must be positively drowning in appeals to God that everybody together, as a congregation, as supporters of a ministry, be praying for the benefit of the minister so that Everybody is benefited. His protection, as St. Paul writes, 
regarding protection from the uh, Pharisees and the assassins out there that wanted him dead. For fruitfulness, the charity being given to the poor saints in Jerusalem and for spiritual benefit to them and to Rome. And then for safety and timeliness for the job to get done so St. Paul can come and visit. These are all wonderful things to pray for. Please, as the Roman congregation prayed for St. Paul, please pray for me. Especially because I have to spend a lot of my time praying for other people. <laughs> we operate on prayer. We are fueled by it. Yes, we ask God for things, but prayer is good for you as well as you pray. It is a part of your sanctification, and given that it is on behalf of other people that we pray, it's also good for them. With that said, again, does it feel like this closing matter to the book of Romans is skippable? Oh, it feels that way especially after the heavy, crunchy, dense theological content of the first 14 chapters. But when we read it with an eye towards St. Paul's example, and we learn how he did things, it enables us to better emulate the good apostle and serve God in a better fashion. You might call this practical theology, or pragmatic theology, where we see the ins and outs and how-tos and the right attitude to take when serving God in our ministry. And next week, we get to dive a little bit deeper into that as he starts making heartfelt greetings to the saints. And indeed, by the way, a little bit of a preview. If you're a minister, if you're a deacon, if you're a lay leader, this means that you really should love the people that you're helping. But we'll get into that next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.